Thank you, Pastor, so much. We uh, come today to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. On this Palm Sunday, when we consider how that the Lord Jesus was proclaimed king by those who greeted him outside of Jerusalem, less than a week prior to his death, we consider today a beautiful hymn, one of the richest compositions known to people anywhere. This passage in Colossians 1, again 15 through 20, in the original, is in a rhythmic prose that was common or typical to hymns of that day. And yet, as we think of music, as we think of lyrics, here is a good example to us of how the the worship of the church and the utilization of hymns was a, a rich tradition, one which had real solid truth, not merely the conveyance of sentiment, as songs often are known for, but rather gives us a rich and profound understanding of just who the Lord Jesus Christ is. So, on this Palm Sunday, let's give our attention to God's Word, Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 15. And again, this is the Word of God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. Amen. And so it's always a privilege to be able to preach anywhere. And as I was standing in the pulpit where our son is assistant pastor in King Street this past week, on Monday evening we had beautiful weather, but we had guys who were working on the roof outside. And so as the service was progressing, there was this constant pounding on the roof, and I was I was beginning to think that maybe somebody was cutting a hole and they were going to lower somebody down in the middle of all of us. And thankfully that stopped at the time of the sermon. Then on the second evening as I was preaching and reminding them all that when it comes to missions, it's not about what we can do. It's about what the power of God can do. As I concluded that message and prayed, it was raining outside. That we had noted. But as I concluded with prayer, the pastor came up to close us out with the last hymn. And every phone in the sanctuary went off loudly. And suddenly there was a tornado warning, and we had to evacuate the sanctuary. A pastor from one of the local churches, after we'd gotten downstairs and were in a safe area, he said, how in the world did you arrange that? He said, that was pretty effective. I said, I didn't. And then on the final evening, there was thunder and lightning outside as I was preaching and static in the, in the sound system. There was an occasional as I would be preaching. 
Just reminding us of who, after all, is in charge. We need to be reminded about who is in charge because it certainly is not us. When we see the world and we see the mess that we've made of it, we come to realize that while we have the ability to rule over things, we have not done it well. We have not been good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. And yet we come today to worship one who does rule well and who has accomplished far more through his rule than any human entity ever could. After all, it is the name of Jesus that we exalt. We give him praise and honor and glory because he has achieved what no one else could. Indeed, what all of humanity combined could never achieve. Jesus has done something so exceedingly great that even in eternity, thousands of years from now, we will still be in awe and wonder of what he has done for our sakes. But it is understanding who he is that is of importance. Not merely an important figure in history, but an ongoing, continual presence in the lives of those who have believed in him. Jesus, after all, lives. I'm not trying to fast forward and, uh, and spoil what we'll be celebrating next week. But after all, every Lord's Day is a recognition of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So that he has this place of preeminence like no one else. There is no one like him. He indeed is the one and only. Being the image of the invisible God is a way of conveying to us that he is the way in which God has revealed himself. He has made the invisible visible. We understand as Christians that there is this invisible reality. God is immortal, invisible, the only God. And yet Jesus, by becoming one of us, enabled humanity to see what otherwise would have remained concealed to them. And being the firstborn of all creation is not conveying the notion or idea that Jesus was somehow created like one of us. It, it gives us an understanding of his place, of his rank. He is ahead of and before all of us as we understand that. I remember when I was in high school junior ROTC, I was fascinated with officer ranks. And I was intrigued by the notion of five-star generals. I think I've shared that with you before. And uh, I remember asking our... Uh, Instructor, who was a lieutenant colonel, he'd been a World War II vet, had served at the end of World War II, and had been uh, involved in the Berlin airlift in the late 40s. And I was talking to him, and he had seen General Hap Arnold one time, the only man who had a five-star rank in both the United States Army and the Air Force. Now, that probably doesn't impress you all that much, but I've just always been intrigued by that sort of thing. But I realized some years later, that when the United States Congress established the five-star ranks for the Army initially and for the Navy, that they had in that legislation a caveat, which said that none of those who received the five-star rank would outrank General John J. Pershing, who had been the commander of the American Expeditionary Forces in World War I. He never wore more than four stars, and yet those five-star officers did not outrank him. So technically, he was a six-star general, if you want to think of it that way. Well, that's just of historical interest to people like me. But when we think of those who are of importance and those who hold superior rank, let us understand that among mankind, the Lord Jesus exceeds all. When you think of the greatest of the greatest, Jesus is greater than even they. 
Jesus is preeminent because he is God in the flesh. No one else can claim that. Oh, we've been created in the image of God. God has stamped his image on us so that there are things about us that are like him. But no one else has been actually this, this one who's been designated God in the flesh, who has existed throughout all eternity. There was never a time when the Son of God has not existed. He always has been. He always will be. And yet at a particular time in history, he became one of us. Hebrews 1, verses 8 through 9. And we'll get back to this later because this is another one of those sections that contains a hymn. But of the Son, He, that is, God says, now note this, the Father is speaking in Hebrews 1, verses 8 through 9. Let me read it again. But of the Son, He, that is, God the Father says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, again, addressing the Son, therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Suddenly, we see in this passage of Hebrews that the Lord Jesus is so much more than an important individual in history. He is actually God who is called as such by God the Father. It's one of those passages that gives great consternation to those who deny the deity of Christ or those who will try to use the Bible to convince us that somehow the Son of God is less than God than God the Father is God. Here we see he is fully God, and therefore he is preeminent. We also see that uh, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And so we come to an understanding that Jesus is preeminent because he existed before everything else and because he is the reason why everything else exists. You're here today because you were created through the Lord Jesus. He is the authority by which everything exists. I was thinking about that the other day. There was, I'm not a scientist and don't know the nomenclature of things very well, but there was some kind of a little bug on our, I call it the back porch. I know it's the lanai, but I'm still, <clears throat> just give me time. I'll, I'll, I'll get used to this. And on the back porch, this little insect was crawling along and you know, I was getting ready to stomp it, have dominion over it. And I thought, you know, even that tiny little insect is here because through the Lord Jesus it was brought into existence. And God was mindful of that insect. Now, I shoot it out the door. But still... As we think in terms of the great and the small, the Lord Jesus is responsible for all things that are. As you look out the window behind me, you don't have to have an alligator rise to the surface out there. You can see the, you can see the plants. You can see the flowers blooming. You can see the water there. Everything that exists is here because it was created through the Lord Jesus and it was created for him. In that all-important passage that is the prologue of the gospel according to John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. 
It's extraordinary, isn't it? Even the people who deny him, who deny his deity, who refuse to acknowledge who he really is, owe everything to him. They're here because of him. They're taking a breath because of him, as are we all. And so it's only rightful, right that we give him praise that he's due. I've never really been in the presence of royalty. Uh, Kathy and I have good friends, Luke and Renee Allsbrook, who both are wonderful artists. Renee is a, an accomplished pianist, a recording artist who is a, a composer of beautiful Christian music. Her husband, Luke, uh, educated at Duke University, but don't hold that against him. He is uh, a wonderful artist in his own right, can paint landscapes so beautifully, water like no one else I've ever seen on a piece of canvas. And and they both are just so talented and the kind of people that we wonder in our own minds, how is it that we even get to know people like this? And Luke was invited to be a part of the entourage of Prince Charles years ago when he came to the United States and was touring. Prince Charles, for whatever reason, doesn't like photographs. But he wanted some way of remembering the tour that he was on, so Luke Osbrook was invited along as the artist who would sketch all of the landscapes, the scenery, and the people, and the various things that, that they experienced during that trip. And Luke said it was a grand experience. You know, you'd walk into the lobby of the hotel, and everybody would be waving, and the camera flashes would be going off, and he said, you know, we just waved back like I was somebody. They didn't know me from Adam's house cat, but there he was with them. But the thing he said was that you had to make sure that when the motorcade left, you better be in it. Because if you got left behind, there was no possibility of rejoining it. Once Prince Charles left, if you saw the vehicles leaving and you weren't in one, you better find a way home because you were no longer with royalty. As we think about the Lord Jesus and his royalty of his kingship, Hosanna. That one who is blessed, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, we know that we are able to experience his presence in a way that is like no other. We can't see him. We're not a part of a motorcade or a donkey cade or a camel cade. And yet, because we are in the Lord Jesus, we are kept by that same power that has created the world's. That gives me security. When I watch the news or when I read about it and I see that the utter chaos that is in the world as a result of our own sinfulness, I have confidence in knowing that this one who rules and reigns is able to keep me safe because he has all power. We're still seeing things that are created out there <clears throat> as telescopes and other instruments enable us, whether it's on a macroscopic level or whether it's microscopic, you know, where you zero in on these intensely small things. All of that is here because of the Lord Jesus. And so we can be confident in his power to keep us because he has all power. And, uh, and it will always be his. So know this, he is preeminent because everything that exists is here because of him. And without him, there would be nothing. In um, John chapter 15, when we read about how that he is the vine and we are the branches, the Lord Jesus, of course, in that text of Scripture, underscores the importance of abiding in him. 
that we must remain in him. We must abide in him in order to bear fruit. And then he says, without me, you can do nothing. Now, it's interesting in the original because he literally employs a double negative there. Um, And the best way I can translate it is to say it like we used to back in the mountains. Without me, you can't do nothing, is essentially what he said. Of course, he's not guilty of bad grammar. It's just simply a way of communicating to us the importance of doing and being in him. In him, we have salvation. In him, we have everlasting life. In him, we have the power of God dwelling in us. But without him... Nothing. And that's literally the case. Without him, there would be nothing. That's why we worship him. When they were throwing their cloaks on the ground before Jesus as he proceeded into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, hailing him to be king, they were hoping, presumably, most of them, if not all of them, were hoping for a a political deliverer, one who would come in and finally throw off the yoke of Rome so that they could enjoy their own autonomy as a state again. But Jesus was about so much more than that, and he still is. Many of us today want deliverance from our immediate trouble. Maybe it's pancreatic cancer, as in the case of Ken, who we want to pray for. Maybe it's some other uncertainty. I'm praying every day fervently for the end of that war in the Ukraine. I know that God has the power to send the Russians home. Just send them home. But I also know that he has purposes and designs that are beyond what I can imagine. So I can pray to him confidently knowing that he has all power, but I also know that he has purposes that exceed what we are able to conceive of in this life. As we think of the Lord Jesus being preeminent, we know that he has a plan and purpose. And he's not conforming himself to our own designs. And as I've said before, I'm thankful for that. I can't think of a a bigger mess anywhere that would result than if God suddenly started operating the world according to the way I thought it ought to be run. Kathy will tell you I don't even keep my stuff picked up in the bedroom the way I ought to. Sure can't run the world. Jesus is preeminent because he is the king and head of the church. His work of reconciliation and redemption places him in this position of of preeminence. In Ephesians 1.22, we read a really astounding text. And he, that is God, put all things under his, that is Christ's feet, and gave him, that is Christ, as head over all things to the church. Now, I want you to notice here that He doesn't say that Christ is head of the church. He is. That's clear elsewhere. But what he says here is that Christ is head over all things. And the Father's gift to the church is this one who is head over all things is given to us. So as we worship Christ, it's not just that he's the leader of Christianity. He's more than a Presbyterian or a Baptist or a Methodist or a non-denominational He is head of all things. When you think about the chain of command, when it comes to the world, there there is none over his head. And so we get to worship him. 
In a sense, he belongs to us. Not that we have ownership over him and he's obligated to do what we say. But he is God's gift to the church. The one that we worship, this Lord Jesus that is extolled in this hymn, is the one who rules over all things. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.15, he is the blessed and only sovereign, or as the King James says, potentate. The King of kings and Lord of lords. That's superlative in both instances. There is no king greater than him. There is no Lord greater than him. And so we gladly bow the knee to him. Look. I mean, he's ruling over visible and invisible. Thrones, dominions, rulers. I remember uh, it's probably been about 40 years ago or so, somebody was asking the man who was then president of the United States said, uh, in one of those things where reporters were out there yelling out questions, and one of them says, what does it feel like to be the most powerful man in the world? And he said, oh, no. He said, every morning when I walk into the Oval Office, he said, there's a schedule in there on my desk telling me where I'm going to be and what I'm going to be doing. He said, whoever puts that on my desk is the most powerful person in the world. And we still wonder, who's operating behind the scenes? But with the Lord Jesus, we need never wonder. He rules and reigns. He does it himself. We have the privilege and blessing of being able to go directly to him. We don't need other emissaries. We don't need other mediators. We go to him. He is the Father's gift to the church. And this one who has existed before all things and the one through whom everything is holding together, he's the head of the body of the church. And it's a good reminder to all of us who serve in the church that it belongs to the Lord Jesus. Hey, listen, pastors come and go. You know, we're in the midst of this transition John will continue with us, serving as pastor. Here you've got me. Bless your hearts. Just know somebody meant well. But we all know that people come and go in every circumstance. It's true in business. It's true in government. It's true in the church. But the Lord Jesus is the king and head of the church. The book of church order of the Presbyterian Church in America is not the most exciting document to read. It is one of those things that can cure insomnia, probably, if you're having trouble sleeping at night. Just, just log in to PCANet.org and pull it up under the administrative committee and begin reading. and It'll work wonders for you in solving insomnia. But there is really a wonderful passage in its preface which declares this kingship and headship of Christ over the church. It's worth the price of the whole book just to read that page or two in declaring just who is the government. And all of us need to remember that. This organization is a living organism over which Christ is the head. It doesn't belong to us. It's not ours. He rules and reigns. He is king and head. And finally, Jesus is preeminent because it is only by his shed blood that there is reconciliation and peace. And of course, that's in the ultimate sense. Peace treaties have been signed. Wars have ended. Conflicts have come to their conclusions. But only Jesus is able to provide ultimately peace which will last for all eternity. No one else can do that. As Paul says in Ephesians 1.7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. 
as we read in Colossians, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. There isn't anything deficient about the Lord Jesus. Being fully man, he is fully God, having every qualification to accomplish redemption and reconciliation. It is through him that we are reconciled. Reconciled to God as we are reconciled to himself. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross, people want immediate results in their immediate circumstances. And many have walked away from professing the faith because they have failed to get those immediate desires met, believing that somehow Christianity has failed them. They have simply failed to understand Christ. He has done more than to alleviate our immediate circumstances, whether it's cancer or war. He has achieved what we need ultimately as he makes peace by the blood of his cross. In Christ Jesus, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Palm Sunday was a time of misunderstanding in many ways. While they were there, those who were professing him to be king as they cried out Hosanna, as they were throwing their cloaks on the ground and waving palm branches in celebration, they wanted a king, but they failed to understand what their real need was. And only days later, when many of those who were hailing him to be king would be crying out for his blood and asking that Barabbas be released to them instead of Jesus. When Pontius Pilate gave them the option, remember, as we say in the Apostles' Creed, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, but it was at the behest of everyone there because there was a kind of democracy in operation there, Pilate giving people the opportunity to vote. It was a day because it was Passover in which someone could be released, and they chose a criminal. A malefactor, one whose guilt was not in question. They asked that Barabbas be released to them, not Jesus. There was a vote. And there was no question about the outcome, whether it was fair or not. That's what they cried out for, and that's what they got. And having scourged the Lord Jesus to within an inch of his life, what shall I do with him? And you remember it was the crowd that said, crucify him. We voted. And we got what we voted for. And Jesus was put to death on the cross. But you see, in that immediate circumstance, while the crowd got one thing, the world got something else. They wanted a victim. What we received is a savior. Because through that death and the shedding of his blood, he paid the penalty for sin, which had separated us from God through the ages. And so today, there is nothing to separate us from God. The one who is fully qualified and capable, being fully God and fully man, the one uniquely qualified to pay that penalty for sin is the one who paid it when they drove those iron spikes through his hands and feet. 
having scourged him with the Roman cats of nine tails that had beat bits of bone and metal beaten into their ends and it had ripped his flesh from his body and had pressed down upon his head that crown of thorns and in suffering and agony as he endured the Father's wrath. They got what they wanted. But we got what we needed. And when he rose from the dead, following that ignominious death, all the world still wonders at this Jesus, whose kingship exceeds anything that anyone could have imagined on that Palm Sunday when they were looking for a political deliverer. What they had was God himself come to rescue them. And so, we still wonder. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Jesus is preeminent now and he always will be. We'll see it in heaven. As the whole host will acknowledge this glorious Lamb of God. Slain before the foundation of the world. To achieve what no one else could. So Christians, I'm telling you, I know what the news says, but I believe the best news as it proclaims to us the greatest of all saviors. He was preeminent then, he is now, and he evermore will be. Jesus is the one and only. And what a privilege to trust in him. Let's pray. Father in heaven. How can we begin to understand things that are too wonderful for us? Lord, you have by your grace raised us from death to life so that we've placed our faith in Jesus. And yet, we still are astounded at what we have. A salvation that is beyond anything that we could ever imagine or conceived of. And a Savior who is greater than any other ever written about by all of the greatest authors down through the ages. Father, we thank you that you have revealed such a grand and glorious one to us. And we pray that as he has come, we will be counted among those who have truly received him and acknowledge him to be preeminent in all things. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Glorious is thy name. Let's stand together and sing.
And so may the love of God, our Father, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with and abide with you all now and forevermore. And everyone said together, Amen. Amen.